Mac Power Users, Episode 45, Finding Files. Hello, everyone. It's David Sparks, back along with Katie Floyd. How are you today, Katie? I'm doing great, David. I'm ready to get geeky in the finder. All right. And we have a guest with us today, Mr. Brett Terpstra from brettterpstra.org, is it? Uh, dot com. Dot com, of course. You got the good one. Yeah, Brett is a uh, – well, Brett, tell us a little bit about yourself. I, uh, I, I guess I would consider myself a mad scientist. I hold a lot of official jobs, but uh, – I like to spend my free time coding bizarre solutions. I call them elegant solutions, but uh, they're elegant in the end. Um, and I just uh, I work in every kind of area of the Mac that I can find. Right. You know, you're my favorite kind of nerd because you write stuff that helps other nerds geek out on their Macs. I love your site. I, I, you're in my short list of RSS feeds and I recommend anybody listening, go do it. Cause so Brett will come up with some idea and, and cook up some shell script or Apple script or something to uh, make your computer work faster in the way you want. And uh, I just love the way you do that stuff. And that's the reason you're here today. Cause we're going to be talking a little bit about tagging. And uh, I think you're going to be the guy who makes the case for it. I, that sounds good. I'd be happy to. But we're going to talk more than just about tagging files. That's going to be in the overall theme of the show, which is going to be just in general finding files on your Mac. We're not going to talk about Googling and finding files on the Internet because that could be a whole other show in and of itself. But we're going to get specific into just how are we going to find files more efficiently on our Mac. Yes. And but, for, but first, a public service announcement. Oh, a public service announcement. Yeah, yes. yeah I've been waiting. Yeah, I've been getting a lot of emails about this uh, OmniFocus screencast. I committed last month to do it, and I'm I'm in process on it. So uh, just to let everybody know, the the first session it was going to be one screencast, and then I realized yeah, how'd that, that work I had, out for you? Yeah, I had way too much material, and uh, uh, so I the first part is is almost done, and it'll probably be out in about a week a week after this show goes into the feed, and it's all about capture and all the different ways you can capture with OmniFocus and using your mobile devices and all that other great stuff. The uh, second episode, I've got most of the rough cut done now, and we'll be working on that, and that'll come out probably two weeks later, and that's going to be all about processing. Then there'll probably be a third one that deals with uh, uh, going through and actually ending your tasks and review and a couple other follow-up points. So it looks like to me a three-episode journey uh, through OmniFocus, and that'll be coming down in the Mac Power Users feed as well as the Mac Sparky screencast feed. And I suspect it'll be on the Omni website, too, at some point. So, All right. So tentative plan is we're going to go Mac Power Users episode, screencast, Mac Power Users episode, screencast, Mac Power Users episode, screencast. Yeah. So we're going to be putting okay. more in the feed than usual. And uh, everybody, just make sure you check it. Don't want you to miss an episode because uh, you didn't you know, capture one of them. Usually we have two weeks. So that usually gives everybody time to get the download. So make sure you do that. Yeah, there's that you, little box in iTunes that you can check that says instead of download most recent, you can say download all feeds or something like that. Yeah, and also this is one more chance to just go out there and, and subscribe. If you're downloading it you know, on an a la carte basis, subscribe. This is good stuff. You're going to have a use for it later. In fact, I just got an email the other day from a listener who said, you know, I, I don't listen to every episode, but then now I'm going back and capturing up with the others as I need them. He was going to start doing paperless, so he went back and listened to that one. So Hey, just subscribe. It makes it easier for us, too. It does make it easier. All right, so back to finding files. Yeah, so I, I broke it up into two basic um, 
uh, genomes. We've got the hunters and we've got the gatherers. It's an interesting way to look at it. Yeah, but it's well, true. You know, it, it is true. So uh, we're going to break the show up into hunters and gatherers, and, and Brett is our prime hunter here because he's got some great ideas for using tagging. I'm more uh, of a gatherer. But before we do that, let's talk about our first sponsor, Smile Software, with their excellent product, Text Expander. And I'm glad we've got Brett here to do this because, Brett, you're kind of a text expander maniac, aren't you? I, I do love my text expander, yes. But you do more than just that. You're you're creating all kinds of shell scripty snippet thingamajiggies. I mean, Text Expander does more than just type my signature in my email and and fill out form emails that I'm sending to people in blocks of boilerplate text. I mean, that's that's a great use for Text Expander. Don't get me wrong. That's probably what a lot of people use Text Expander for. But it can do a lot of other stuff. What kind of things are you using Text Expander for? And maybe more of a non traditional area. Um, I do. Uh, well, the reason I, I choose text expander over other available options is the shell scripting. Um, and it can run Apple scripts and it can run just about any, uh, language you can run from the shell. And so if you go to my website at brettterpshire.com slash tag slash text expander, you can see a lot of the, uh, experiments that I've started, uh, putting out, uh, everything from markdown snippets to, um, Dropping random placeholder images with kittens in them. Um, One of my favorites. <laughs> um, and then I did a whole lot of uh, lorem ipsum or Greeking text snippets that uh, not just uh, the actual lorem ipsum, Dolores, it, Amet kind of text, but actual uh, random text from everything from Alice in Wonderland to Quisat Hadarak. And had some good stuff in there. Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome dropping in random text and seeing a quote from Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, what that lore mipsum is, if you're, if you're not familiar, you know, all these Apple apps, for instance, when you have a, a new document, it'll have text in there. And if you want to generate that automatic text for something you're working on, it's often useful for web development or other uses. Uh, he's, he's made this text expander shell scripts that you just type in a text expander snippet and bloop, it goes right in. It's great. I mean, that really distinguishes Text Expander from the co- competition that you can run all these scripts and Apple Script in them. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's truly the nerds uh, snippet program. Yes, and they are the sponsors of the Mac Power users. We're really proud to have them as a sponsor. They were the very first people to approach us about sponsoring the show, and we thank them for that. So head over to smilesoftware.com and pick up a copy of Text Expander for $35 and thank them for their our support. Yeah, and they're also in the App Store, David. Don't forget about the Mac App Store. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So, thank you, uh, Text Expander, and thank you, Smile, for your support. All right, so let's talk more about the Hunters. All so right, now. The Hunters. Go ahead. You go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I don't get Hunters. I'm more of a gatherer. I mean, I understand that you have to be able to hunt because, you know, you can't always, you know, depend on berries and fruits all day long. But um, I like knowing where all my stuff is. I don't, I, you know, it. I don't like having to say, I don't like things getting lost. I like to be able just to know where they are. Well, I think Hunters uh, is kind of moving into the future. And you and I are old school computers. I mean, you you started with the first Apple Mac, so right. you've been around a while. And, uh, you know, we're just used to these nested folders. But you look at the iPad and, you know, there's no nested folders on the iPad. We don't even there's know no where nothing. the data is. Yeah, so... Uh, you know, I think a lot of people are more comfortable just throwing it in a big folder and, and letting Spotlight sort it out. It's very disorganized to me, but okay. 
Well, but but on the Mac, I think that's where it starts with Spotlight. And uh, and you wrote a lot into the Spotlight outline, Katie. What are your thoughts on it? I did. Well, let's 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 get a little bit basic to begin with, and let's talk about what Spotlight does. Or a little overview. And the first thing that Spotlight does is it's it searches your Mac. It searches inside files. It will search tags. It will search the metadata of your files, and it will index your external hard drives. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about what it doesn't do. Um, Spotlight is also a very basic application launcher. Um, when I'm sitting at a computer that doesn't have LaunchBar installed, I will use Spotlight as an application launcher. And people say, oh, how did you do that? And um, it's always a, a neat trick. So the way to do that is you hit the command space and just start mm-hmm. typing the name of your application. Right. And assuming command space is your Spotlight, uh, de- it, it is the default keyboard shortcut. I've changed mine, but by default, that's the keyboard shortcut. Um, and Spotlight can also do some other tricks. It's a calculator, so if you hit command space and you type in 2 plus 2, hopefully Spotlight will come up with 4. Um, and it can also uh, work as a dictionary, so if you type in a dictionary word, in addition to finding files, it will also give you a dictionary definition of that word using Apple's built-in dictionary. So Spotlight can do a bunch of things. There are a couple of things that that Spotlight doesn't do. And one, this just drove me absolutely crazy, is I think it was with maybe 10.5 is when they made this change, is by default, Spotlight doesn't look inside any system files. And I understand why Apple did this. They they figure they don't want Spotlight to, to come back with all of these, what they would perceive to be most of the time, erroneous search results. You know, if you type in, you know, crash plan, and you all of a sudden get a bunch of plist files that are inside your library folder, that's probably not what you wanted. You probably wanted the application that's sitting in your application folder. But in my use case, I'm kind of old school. I'm more of a gatherer. I know where most of my files are. And when I use Spotlight, a lot of the time it's when I'm looking for something that's lost or or that is maybe not in one of these main folders. So um, there is a fix for that. Uh, you can add system files to be included in your Spotlight search, although you do have to add it as a criteria and there's a little drop down menu when you do a search to say, uh, include system files. Um, spotlight also won't search windows formatted drives and it won't search any drives that are excluded in your spotlight preferences. So, uh, if you specifically don't want it to search a drive, for example, I don't have it search by default, my clone backup because it's supposedly going to be an exact duplicate of my internal hard drive. Yeah. And you shouldn't duplicate results. Um, you know, I always make that an excluded drive. Yeah, you shouldn't do that. You're going to get two copies of everything, and you're going to start launching applications from your backup drive. Exactly. Yeah. So, so that's that's kind of an overview of what Spotlight does and what it doesn't do. But you know, you can do more with Spotlight. I mean, I think what was it, Lion that Spotlight premiered? I think it was Lion where they first brought Spotlight in. That would be hard to do since Lion's yeah, Lion. Yeah, Lion has. I'm out sorry, yet. Tiger, Tiger, Tiger. Yep. Okay, it was Tiger that it came in ten point four. And so it must I, be 10.5 that they changed that thing I didn't like. Yeah, but the thing they did in 10.5 was they made it work. I, I always yeah. felt like in 10.4 it was so slow that I, I would be you know better just you know opening up my computer, unscrewing my hard drive, and finding the bits physically with my screwdriver. Oh, well. It was so slow. No, I, that's totally true. Yeah. but they, So they fixed that part in, uh, in Leopard and Snow Leopard. Uh, but you know, one thing a lot of people don't realize is you can use Boolean search terms with it. So if you use and, or, or not, but they must be in capitals, you can uh, search for files with you know the name you know monkey and business. 
Or if you put it in quotations, you can search for that exact text string. Alvin and Simon and Theodore. Yeah. Uh, what else do we use Spotlight for? Uh, you can do some other search options with it. Uh, we, we're going to put an article in the, uh, in the show notes. Uh, Macworld did a nice uh, Spotlight Hints article about how to do it. Yeah, they actually linked to an article that was from um, one of David Pogue's one uh, one of David Pogue's uh, articles. I guess one of his missing ma- uh, manual series, where he goes through and, and tells you all of the different criteria you can use to search Spotlight. And I, I don't know, I haven't counted them out, but there are dozens, if not hundreds, of different criteria you can use to search in Spotlight. Probably two of the most popular is you can search. Um, by kind. So you can say, for example, if you're searching in the spotlight menu, you can say kind colon PDF, and it will return only files that are PDF. Or you can search by date, and you can say date colon uh, today, yesterday, or you can say date colon is greater than, um, you know, January 1st, 2011, or or pick a date. Um, Or if you hit the Command F, or you go to Find in the Apple menu, or the is it the Apple menu or the File menu? Um, in the Finder, it will bring up an actual search window, and you'll see that there are these these criteria that you can narrow down your search even more. You can tell it to search your entire Mac or a specific folder that you happen to be in, or any attached drives, or search by content or search by file name, and then there are these little plus and minus buttons where you can get very specific. And you can sell it to search by kind, whether it's an application, a document, a folder, a movie, a music, whatever. But you can get into literally hundreds of criteria. And by default, they've got a couple in a list by like last date open, last date modified. But if you click other, it will bring up a list of, again, dozens, if not hundreds of criteria. So, um, for example, they've got some photography related criteria. So you can search by um, ISO, and you can search for every photograph that was taken at a, at a specific speed or a specific exposure, or you can search for all of your music files that are at a specific audio bit rate, or you can add search terms and make, you know, if, if then statements, you know, if you want to go back to your old standardized testing days and you can say, you know, I want every music file that's in this folder, that's not an MP3, but has this bit rate. And you can get very specific in the searches that you're running within Spotlight. Yeah. You know, how, how often do you use those things? Uh, when I need to search system specific files. Yeah. How about you? Well, because that's, use, that's the way you do it. Use that stuff very often. The criteria. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, use, um, Name slash file name colon and um, and kind all the time. See, I, I'm missing out on this stuff. I, I'm just not doing it. I guess I've just got so used to using my nested folders that I usually can go drill for whatever I need. See, that's well, it. That's, you shouldn't have to drill. Yeah, I know. That's my problem is that if I can't find it in my nested folder system, it's really lost. Or I didn't know where it was in the first place. Yeah, and then and now using the Finder when you create these custom searches, a nice thing feature that they added, and I think this was a Leopard edition. Uh, you can save those to the Finder uh, sidebar, and you can have those as saved searches. Then, kind of like a smart playlist in iTunes or iPhoto. You want a, yeah. another quick quick tip for that? Yeah, absolutely. well, it's not not necessarily for that. I'm jumping backwards a little bit, but when you use the calculator and the dictionary. You can actually hit Command C once the result comes up, 
and uh, and it'll copy the either dictionary definition or the uh, the result of the equation right into your clipboard. Yeah, and then you can command V it into wherever you're going. Right. I didn't actually know that until recently. Mm. Victor Callao of the Typical Mac User Podcast did a great presentation at Macworld, um, and I think it was called Things That I Did Not Know About Spotlight, or Tell Me Something That I Didn't Know About Spotlight. Um, and I'm going to try to put a link in the show notes to, to Victor's presentation if he has it posted, or at least information on Victor's site, because... Um, you know, Victor's presentation was really what got me more interested in learning more about the things that I could do with Spotlight. So that was really an inspiration, at least for me, to go dig and do more. Um, and then, of course, if you play around in the system preferences within Spotlight, that's where you can tweak some of these overview settings and say, you know, in your search results, what order do you want things to appear? You know, I've got applications to appear first, and then system preferences, and then documents, and then folders, and then mail messages, and the list goes on from there. And then you can specifically uncheck if you don't want it to, to show things. And that's where you can set your keyboard shortcuts. And then there's also a little tab in there uh, where you can set your privacy settings if there's specific folders or specific volumes. Again, like your your external hard drives or your backup drives that you don't want it to search, that's where you add it. Add those volumes there. So, Brett, do you use LaunchBar? Oh, yeah. Quite okay. a bit. And I think that's one of the reasons why I'm not a big Spotlight user because, you know, I get dictionary definitions through LaunchBar, you know. Sure. You know, command space, DI, and then dictionary, hit space bar, type in my word, and then it opens it up. Uh, I guess that's really no – maybe even faster to do that. With- uh, see, but you have to load the dictionary app, and Spotlight will actually I – use, I use the dictionary in Spotlight primarily for making sure that a word I'm using is actually a real word. Because you don't get the full definition in the spotlight results, yeah. but you get enough of it to say, oh, yeah, that is the word I'm looking for. Yeah. And, and when I think about it, it's probably faster because you're hitting command space and you're just typing the word. Right. And then it comes up. And well, and you co- – sorry, David. Then with the command C trick, you've already got the definition copied. Right. Although I don't really copy the definition very often. Yeah. We, you know, you can also search spotlight from within launch bar. You can also access the spotlight search from there. Yeah, and that's one of the settings when you first set up LaunchBar. You can you can set which command keys you want to do to what. Right, but if you you know, for example, I've set Command Tab as my LaunchBar keys. I know you've got something else, but or no Command Spacebar. The default Spotlight key is my LaunchBar key. Um, but if you launch LaunchBar and then mine's SP or you know Spot or whatever you want to do, then that brings up search in spotlight and launch bar for me. And then you can type in whatever you want and it will search spotlight for that. Yeah. I just, you know, I still use command space for launch bar. It just, it goes back to my old uh, Quicksilver days. It's muscle memory. Okay. Okay. So using spotlight in the finder, we've kind of covered that, how you can create your own specific searches and then save them. Um, the, um, and, you know, there's some additions for Spotlight as well. Like there's an application called Hootaspot. Have either one of you guys played with that? I love Hootaspot. Yeah, it, it's really nice. I, I met that guy at Macworld like four years ago, five years. It was back in the day, you know, when Apple was there. And I think it was him and his father. Were, uh, they had a little tiny booth behind the monstrous Apple booth. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think it was when one password was a brand new company. And it was like the one password was in. I talked to him. He was a really nice guy. And you could tell he was real smart, you know. And he programs stuff that he's interested in. He also does the Huda Geo tagging stuff, which is really nice. But Huda Spot is a great app. It's thirty bucks, and I'll put the link in the show notes. And it takes Spotlight kind of to the next level. 
What, now, what do you use it for, uh, Brett? I well, the the thing I love most about Spotlight is advanced predicates that are kind of a pain to type in the actual Spotlight window. So building uh, building long Boolean searches with both and and or and uh, and searching by metadata that isn't necessarily related to a keyword. That's who to spot is great for building smart folders and blitz searches that can do that. Yeah, and it does like the Boolean stuff with almost like drop down selectors, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah, so and you can hold down option to make like this entire group has to be all and then this next group has to be any. And then you combine them as an all and you can do some crazy stuff. Yeah, and using the um, spotlight menu, it's not so easy to make that happen. No. In fact, I'm not sure it's that possible to do it when you're talking about those types of limitations. Right. Yeah. And so that's not a bad investment, if, especially if you're a hunter, because you're going to need, you know, a way to find this stuff. Definitely. Um, uh, so, you know, another way you can do it uh, is drilling. I guess this would really be for the gatherers, but I, I was putting the outline here, this launch bar uh, search, because I use launch bar all the time to search stuff out. And you can drill with launch bar as well. Um, you know, for instance, Dropbox, um, I if I hit my launch bar key combination and hit DB, it just takes me to my Dropbox data file. If I hit the space bar, then I can get to any folder I need it from within there. And the ones I use a lot, it finds automatically. For instance, the Mac Power users, if I just hit command space MPU, it takes me right to the shared Dropbox folder for Mac Power users. Okay. Um, but all of this, I think, if you're going to be a hunter, I think you almost need to really think about these tags. And uh, we talked about tags on a show here before. I think it was the Merlin Man show, but I'm not certain. Uh, but I, I've always had this problem with tags. I get emails from people all the time talking about how they're tagging. And uh, for instance, uh, one a great application to tag PDF files is Yep. You know, it's kind of like iTunes for for PDF. And and I I had that application running for a long time, and I would I would dutifully put my PDFs in there, and I'd stop and I'd tag them all. And I got thinking one day, all this tagging I'm doing, uh, when am I using any of this stuff? And I wasn't. So it was just time down the drain for me. You know, I I wasn't finding that tagging was doing it for me. And so I just kind of stopped tagging. And that was two or three years ago. And I haven't tagged anything since. And then Brett did this post about, what was it, two or three weeks ago, Brett? Yeah, about, something like that. Yeah, about how you tag. And I said, well, you know, Brett's a smart guy. And he's obviously using it to his benefit. Uh, so why don't you uh, make the case for tagging for us? Okay. Um, well, first, we talk about these folder hierarchies and we talk about tagging. And I use both. Uh, I use a, I call it a shallow folder system where I'm not, I don't believe in the one big pile where I just throw all my PDFs into one kind of like the way Yep does uh, stored files and it doesn't necessarily create an intelligent uh, folder hierarchy with it. It depends highly on tagging and I prefer to use both. Um, I create a, like a, a folder for clients and then a folder for a specific client and then maybe within that specific client then things are a pile and everything depends on tags from that point, but I don't want all my client files mixed together. Um, that being said, the thing I love about tagging is that I can make something exist in multiple places at the same time, at least as far as my search results are concerned. Um, so if I want to search, it's it goes back to the basic spotlight concept, where if I want to search for something that is Files that are related in a specific way, I can get myself a smart folder in Finder 
that displays all of these files as if they were in the same location. But then I change the search and the same files can show up with other files as if they were in the same location. And you can't really do that with folders alone. Um, it, it's tagging isn't required for that because you can search by all kinds of metadata in spotlight. I just find tagging to be the most convenient way. Um, and so I've got this, this combination system in, and I rarely use the folders. I rarely drill directly to a folder in finder. Um, I use uh, a whole slew of apps and uh, I use the open meta standard, which, uh, which may be considered fragile by a lot of people. And, and I don't, I don't stake the life of my data on the open meta standard because oh. it could disappear anytime. Okay. So let's stop right there. That's one thing sure. that's changed since I gave up on tagging. Um, uh, it used to be that the way you did tags was it essentially inserted, um, I guess it was in the comment field for a file and it used some type of uh, preface uh, character. And then spotlight used that to create the, um, the co- I'm sorry, the tags for a specific file. Am I right so far? Yeah, and at that point, they weren't really even tags. At that point, you were just searching for everything that Spotlight had indexed with that prefix character, and you didn't have a lot of continuity between applications that used that. Yeah, and even between some of the Apple apps, it wasn't clear. I mean, I think iPhoto might do it differently than Aperture, I think I was told at one point. And that's when I'm like, well, what the heck am I doing all this for? And then uh, I think it was last year that this open meta standard kind of showed up. Yeah, correct. Um, and and open meta grew out of, and we were talking about this before the show. It kind of grew out of the folks that did Leap and Yep, and the guys who were doing the tags application. Right. Okay. So explain that a little bit. Okay. Well, I mean, back what you're talking about was kind of the dark ages of Mac tab uh, tagging. It really it felt without, like that. <laughs> it. It really was because without continuity between all of your applications. You know, if you're using tag colon as a prefix here and an ampersand as a prefix somewhere else, they're not going to all show up in a spotlight search. And to me, tagging as a system only works if everything comes together in any search. And without that kind of integration between all the applications, I wouldn't have used it either. And I didn't. It wasn't until Open Meta provided a standard that that isn't in spotlight comments, which are even more fragile than anything else. They can be erased in a second. Um, it wasn't until Open Matter brought all of that together that I actually found tagging to be useful at all. Okay, and so how does Open Meta work? Open Meta uses X attributes or extended attributes on files, and uh, the current version in uh, Snow Leopard actually stores your tags twice in different. Uh, in, in different uh, attributes, and then also stores a backup uh, kind of database of all your tags and their related files in your caches. So it's it's kind of triple backed up. So, um, but then when you search in a in a open meta capable application, which includes Spotlight, um, it will search that attribute on all of your files, and each tag is stored as an individual item instead of like a long string of tags. And I mean that's the basic idea. It just it provides tagging that the way that like Flickr would provide tagging instead of just kind of storing prefixed tags in a string. And now this was developed um, by I guess it was by the guys who did Leap and Yep, which is was Ironic Software. Right. And, and also, the, what was the company that did tags? Um, Gravity Gravity Apps was developing simultaneously, and they weren't. 
I'm not even sure they were aware of each other until right before tags, before gravity released tags. And then they agreed to switch over to Leap's open meta system, which was essentially the same, just used a different attribute. And they've made that open source, correct? Right, it so, is. So everybody can tap into it that wants to. And I guess that's why you're saying it may be a bit fragile if they stop development on it or something. There may be well, it's, it's more fragile from the perspective that Apple could make these attributes inaccessible at any point. If they decided they didn't like it happening... One OS update, and they could pretty much crush it. Okay, and but Apple has is Ellie's using Open Meta, or is it a is it a coincidence that one password can search Open Meta? I'm sorry, it's, is it a coincidence that a Spotlight can search Open? Meta? Right, it's it's more or less coincidence. Uh, it's by design. Spotlight searches all metadata. Yeah. Um, in Spotlight, you you need to use a tag colon prefix to specifically search for a tag. Um, and then you get into like uh, iPhoto uses iPhoto and Aperture use uh, keyword prefixes. So if you want to search iPhoto along with all your open meta tags, just as an example, you would have to do a tag colon tag name and keyword colon or, or keyword colon tag name. So it gets a little bit. I mean, you can see the gaps in the system at that point. Yeah. But, with a with a good smart folder that has all the, the a predicate that includes both of those, it's you can do it without thinking twice about it. So the bottom line is, as things stand today, uh, we've got a, a tagging system based on this open source open meta that allows you to have universal tagging between apps, and it is Spotlight searchable. Right. Okay. So so you found that you said, okay, I'm in. So now, how did you implement it? I basically, I started tagging. At first, I was just tagging with every possible keyword that was related to a file. Yeah, that's a mistake. And it is. <laughs> it really is. Because you end up with this, like if you if you use a tag browser, like the one that's included in tags.app, um, you, you get, you know, a thousand tags that may have one file associated with them. Yeah. And, yeah. and it doesn't work at that point. What you have to do is, is tag very sparingly. And only my rule of thumb is I tag things with what I think I would search for them next year. Yeah, what comes to your mind? Right, and if and after you after you tag for a year, you you get to go back and try to find your files enough times that you get a hang of what your brain is going to think of when it's looking for that file you, that you can barely remember the name of. Yeah, another good one is is only tag lowercase. Right. I mean, uh, you know, I, when I was tagging in, in Yep, I, when I started out, I was capitalizing some and not capitalizing others, and it creates two sets of tags. It's a oh, big yeah. mess. Mouse. Yeah. Yes, and, that um, is and, definitely. And, and then another idea, I think, would be to have a notational velocity uh, file where, or you know, a simple note file where you just have a list of your tags, I guess. I, I use something similar to that, and uh, I use some kind of... I would call them specialized prefixes on my tags, where it's, it is just a tag, but a whole set series of tags will start with the same word at the beginning and then a colon, like, for example, client colon, and then the name of the client. And then if I want to see all client files at once, I can just type client colon and get everything and then drill down from there. Yeah. Um, and I keep those in uh, notational velocity as a list just so that I can be very consistent, and consistency is key. Same as like always using lowercase. You always want to use the same tag for things that are 
in fact related. If you don't, then you wasted your time because you you'd be better off putting them in a folder. So so Brett, yeah, because th- there's the problem. If you don't tag consistently and you're not relying on nested folders, when you type that search, you're not going to have everything related to that file. Right, and at that point, it's technically lost. Yeah. Um, so what types of files do you tag? Um, primarily uh, my kind of work files, if you will, PDF files, Photoshop files, uh, text files, um, anything that's kind of a final product of a project. I don't necessarily, well, I suppose I, I would tag most, like I would tag an Xcode project, but I wouldn't tag all the source files within that project. Just enough that I could launch the Xcode project, which would then lead me to all of the source files. Um, and I guess technically you could say I tag everything. I even tag like um, websites. I do a lot of, I have a whole system that if I tag a website in Pinboard, my computer will download that location as a weblog file and put open meta tags on it. So my, my web, the web history that I specifically tag will show up along with all the files related to a topic. Okay. So how do you do that? How do I do? How, how, do, you the, get, how do you get a pin board? Uh, <laughs> like, is that a script? Is some of it your is, magic it's science? a Ruby script. Yeah. It's a Ruby script that watches the database for Deli bar, which is what I use for tagging uh, websites. And then it just uses Apple script and Ruby to download and apply the tags. Is that on your uh, site? Brett? Not, I have one that I wrote for delicious. I have a far more uh, in-depth one that I'm, that I'm using for pinboard and I will be posting that relatively soon. When you do, let me know and I'll put up a link at Max Sparky. Cause I'm, sure. I'm starting to get interested in tagging. You're, you're getting me uh, thinking about, it. but tell me this. So you're talking about client files. Um, mm-hmm. Do you find a need for client files much after you finish a project? Only specific ones. There are always reusable parts of a project. Um, and I guess that's one of the things for me. See, I, when I have finished a project for a client, it's a different business. And, you know, I don't really go need the stuff again. That's, I, I like to keep it for historical reference, but I don't, there's nothing in it that really gets used again. Everything is unique. And so the folder is closed, and, and that's kind of the end of it. And maybe that's one of the reasons why I've never been that into tagging. And that makes sense. And, and I think that, I think that in, it depends entirely on the use case that you're working with. And in, in the case when you're, when you're programming, when you're even designing, if take design, I have a stock photo that was perfect for this client, but I may want to locate it again. It, it, most stock photos come with keywords and then I can add a tag that I will usually search for that, that stock photo based on the client that I remember I used it for. So finding, you know, I search for the name of the client and I find that stock photo by adding a kind colon image to, to my search. And, and there it is. Yeah, that makes sense. Granted, if you had everything stored in a file hierarchy by client, it would probably be as fast to drill down through your folders. Although I could make the argument that I could do it in fewer keystrokes. Yeah. Yeah. So, Brett, can you give us an overview of what does your computer look like? I mean, if I were to sit at your desk and and look at, I don't know, your documents folder, assuming that's where you store everything. What I don't. Would I, I see? hate the documents folder. Oh, okay. All right. Um, well, then maybe that's a good question. Let's say your home folder or wh- where yeah. wherever this stuff is. What would I see? 
what, what you would see is I work from my desktop and I have, oh, I have okay. folders. <laughs> I have folders on my desktop titled. No work. judgment here. No, I'm just kidding. No, you, you'll see in a sec why okay. this works. I have folders called work code and file cabinet. And okay. each of those is the beginning of my shallow folder hierarchy. Everything that I work on, I save directly to the desktop. But at the end of every day, I clean my desktop up. And I file them using a system that allows me to tag them quickly uh, using either tags or a new app called Filer, F-I-L-R. And then I have a script that goes through and once a file's tagged, it'll sort it into an appropriate folder based on target keywords. Okay, see, so that's very similar to what I do, but uh, I use Hazel. And right, it's a and name Hazel's re- what's running my script. Oh, is it? Okay. And so it's a name-related thing. So if I give it a name... Um, you know, whatever Smith case, Hazel knows, okay, that goes to this folder and it disappears from my desktop. Cause I, I put stuff on the desktop during the day, but the same thing at the end of the day, it all goes, goes away. And I use mm-hmm. a Hazel script to automatically send it to a nested folder. I don't, but it doesn't, it doesn't tag it. So, right. so now what are these two apps you're using, uh, tags and filer? Um, how, you know, what's the, um, overhead, how much time is it going to take you to go through and tag these files on this? Really not very long because uh, generally at the end of a day, a lot of the files on my desktop are going to be related. And I can select everything that's related. I can hit my tags key and pop up a little HUD and I can type in what all of those files have in common. And then if a file needs specific additional tags, I can select that individually, hit my hotkey, type in the tag and hit enter and it's tagged. And then everything else is automated. Um, Filer, the other application, actually lets me drag like a whole slew of files in at once, and then it it brings them up one at a time, and I add my tags and hit next, and add my tags, hit next, and it's a great way to file like a bunch of a bunch of files at once that aren't necessarily related. Okay, and and you'll have to send me the link for Filer. We'll have to add that to the show. It's on the Mac App Store. Is it? I just found it the other day. Okay, excellent. But I should also mention that the great thing about the Open Meta Standard is every program that I've used that specifically implements it also provides auto-completion for your tags. So once I type the first couple letters of a tag, it's going to offer me either a completion or a suggestion, and it allows me to be very consistent with the tagging, and it speeds things up a ton. Now, what? how, how deep are your folders that these go into? Like, do you just About, have a file called clients and all this stuff goes in? No, there? no, 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 no. No, it goes, it goes work and then it goes to clients and then it has uh, the name of a client. And that's the minimum depth of my hierarchy. Okay. So I'm just going about two levels deeper than you. So I'll have client and then I'll have a matter. And then in there, I may even have a couple more depending on what's up. Yeah. Like correspondence or pleadings or whatever. Yeah. But you know, right. I can see how, um, when you think about the time I spend fiddling to get things in the right place, it's probably about the same amount of time you spend fiddling to get tags attached. It, it, it probably is. And the only the reason that I use this kind of uh, combination system of folders and tags is because I have a, a mindset that's not different from both of yours, um, where if I don't know it's in a folder within a hierarchy, my brain kind of freaks out and says it could be lost. Uh, so by doing both, I get that the peace of mind of having it in a folder uh, that makes sense and the ability to search you know, with smart folders and create 
different groupings of files at the same time. Like it's kind of the best of both worlds. And because this, the filing system is automated based on tags, I'm not spending double overhead on it. Yeah. Well, I think Brett, you've, uh, wow. You've opened my eyes to this. Given us something to think about. (laughs) Uh, One of the things I'm thinking about is, you know, when I gave up on tagging, uh, the the automation tools weren't as far along because I think I was probably in Tiger when I stopped tagging. And uh, now using things like um, uh, Hazel. Does Hazel allow you to apply open meta tags? It does. Oh, well, see, now that, geez, well, I'm already doing it then. I could just add that to my Hazel script for an automatic filing and it could put the open meta tag on as it, as it throws it away. Who to spot has great tagging uh, built into with full open meta support. Yeah. Okay. So I'm thinking maybe I can incorporate this. I'm going to have to give some thought to it and uh, see how it works for me. But uh, one of the, you know, the hurdles I have is I really don't want to spend more time than I already am on the process because I'm not sure how often I'll be using these tags, but maybe if I start getting into it, I might find it useful. I have one more application tip for you. Yeah, all right. Uh, default folder X. Oh, yeah, of course, because they, they do it right in the That's save the box. That's the old standard. Right. So yeah. as you save, you can add your tags, and then you can cover, you know, save to a specific folder and add your tags, hit save, and you're done. So, and they, they're using open meta as well. Yes. That's really nice. So the, the developer community has really embraced it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. All right. At least, at least the nerdier developers. Yeah. Well, and those are the ones we talk about here, frankly. Yes. <laughs> you know? Well, that's really good. Uh, you know, Brett, while we've got here, I think that's good. Uh, I'm going to look into this tagging, and I think we'll have to maybe do a follow-up on it at some point. What do you think, Katie? Are you are you thinking about it as well? or I'm, I'm thinking about it, yeah. All right. Okay. Um, but while we've got Brett here, uh, later in the outline, I was going to talk about uh, this file's, you know, shows about finding files. is also, I think, kind of about naming. We've always been threatening to do this naming convention show. Um, so how do you name the files as you put them away? Uh, very descriptively, like I came from a strong, uh, DOS background where I had eight characters and nothing ever really made sense. And it took me a while to get to a point where I realized that I could just type, you know, half a sentence as a file name. So I will, I will type a name that is descriptive and pertinent, but I don't, you know, I don't necessarily write 36 characters plus, but four or five words is not unusual for me. Yeah. I'm the same way. And it took me a while to get over that because Mm -hmm. like you, I was thinking I had to keep it short and have these cryptic names that didn't make any sense. Another thing I like to do with files and it depends on the type of file, but for instance, uh, when I'm going through the bills and I've scanned in all the bills, I will say the file name with the date and the name for like invoices. For instance, if the electric bill comes in, It'll say 2011-03-electric bill. And uh, I know that it's already got the data in there about when I scanned it in, and that's pretty close to usually when I received it. But I like that then it automatically Hazel drops it into the folder, and if I open that folder, everything in that folder is lined up uh, by date received with you know the name. And so I've got each one in there. So does that make sense? It does. I I personally am very careful not to repeat existing metadata in either tags or a file name, just because it. it I don't. My naming conventions tend to not stay consistent. Then, like I'll I'll format the date differently or or make other mistakes. If I just rely on Spotlight's metadata for things like date, then uh, then I, I'm guaranteed that Spotlight will find what I'm looking for when I type in 
date and then, you know, February 2nd, 2011. Yeah, and that works generally, but I think when you deal with scanned in bills, it doesn't mm-hmm. work for me because sometimes the bills don't get necessarily scanned in right when they're received. Sure. And then that, that. that data becomes inaccurate. And and the thing is, I've just got in my brain hardwired that when I date a file, when I put a, a file, a, a date in the file name, um, it always starts with the year, hyphen, month, hyphen, day. Or on stuff like electric bill, it's just going to be the year and the month. And always, it's the very first string of that name. So then when you open a file, because if you say electric bill, hyphen 2011, hyphen 03, as opposed to it's 2011, not it's not going to sort it. So um, I always yeah. do that. that. That's one thing I do. Otherwise, I'm like you. I, I, I'm pretty wide open with the naming I like to make it so if I open it in two, my whole idea is if I open this in two years and I look at this folder, am I going to be able to tell what this is? So do you use a leading zero on, on single digit months and days? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And I use that with a, um, with a a text expander snippet. Sure. So it's a, Oh, that's smart. I get it. So they've got a, um, there's a couple I have, I have one called dot DS, which is date string. So if I hit dot DS, it'll say 2011, hyphen 03 hyphen 06 for today, you know, March mm-hmm. 6, 2011. If I say dot DTS, it'll do the whole date string, then it'll make a space and then it'll put the time in also with leading zeros and 24 hour time. So Perfect. without seconds, because I'm not that, I'm not that smart. <laughs> and then if I, if I hit dot DM, it'll just do the date, the year and the month. So like for the electric bill example, it would be dot DM. It'd be 2011 hyphen 03. And then the, have another leading space and I could type whatever I wanted. I get so, that. And it, it makes sense. Yeah. And then, and then what I have is a, um, a script in Hazel and I guess I'm kind of getting into stuff we're going to be talking about later. So, but I have a script in Hazel. So if I would type, um, dot DM and then space electric bill, um, Hazel would see that the, the word electric bill is in there and it would automatically take that file, um, uh, drop it into my electric bill invoice, um, subfolder, and and be done with it, and I, so I could just add a tag to add a you know add a couple tags to that as well. Have Hazel do it while it's at it. Well, and essentially, like I said, it's it's to each their own, and the system it can work exactly the way you're doing it. I mean, what you're doing makes a lot of sense, even from a tagging perspective, because you could use all of those criteria in a spotlight search as well. Yeah. So I'm not I'm not going to tell you that you have to switch that over to Open Meta to make it make sense. I'm just offering a an alternative way to accomplish pretty much the same thing. No, and, and frankly, I'm glad you came on because I, I just always felt like tagging was discredited in my opinion. And, and I would, I've sent many emails to people over the years who write me asking what's the best way to tag. And I say the best way to tag is to not tag, you know, <laughs> because you're going to spend a bunch of time doing it. And one day the tagging data may just disappear on you and then you're never going to find anything again. Do you tag in your web apps? Sorry to get off subject, but like in Flickr, do you tag your photos? No. Okay. I can't get them to tag the Mac Power users post either. I always have to go behind them and do that. <laughs> I didn't even realize I wasn't doing it. Thanks. You're not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you know, I'm, I've just never got into tagging. So I'm going to try it and uh, we'll, I'll report back. But Brett, while we have you, you here, um, uh, we were I was going to talk later in the show about naming conventions, specifically in notational velocity, because I'm always talking about that on the show. I know a lot of people who listen to it uh, uh, talk about uh, and use notational velocity in simple note. And you happen to have written an application that we like very much, Notational Velocity Alt. So uh, what, what went into that? Well, 
I basically it was it started as a oh look it's open source let's play with it, um, and kind of turned into a bit of a uh, an extended project I guess you'd say and uh, it's uh, you know I added your basic like um, uh, niceties to it and the uh, the next version actually that I'm planning to put out is in combination with work from Elastic Threads. And I think people are going to love it because it incorporates the open meta um, tagging that uh, the original author just released along with all of his and my additions. And I think it's uh, it's going to be a crowd pleaser once we get it wrapped up. But um, so is your question then about um, naming conventions for notes? Well, yeah, but before we get there, I just wanted to hear a little bit about notational velocity alt because uh, I'm anxious as well to hear it go. Now, I guess you're you're suffering from the success of giving out something free that's awesome, and that people <laughs> are uh, want more, right? Yes, yes, I, I get <laughs> I, I get requests daily. I, I see the uh, the post you put up once in a while. I can tell with a groan. It's like what you know. <laughs> It has. It has. It, it's, it's a labor free, of love. People, it's free. Leave me alone. No, no uh, good deed goes unpunished. Well, I, I am happy to patiently wait until you have time, but I do appreciate what you've done with this. So now, it, well, the new version because they have tags now on Simple Note, and is that using mm-hmm. the Open Meta standard? They're, they don't sync yet, and uh, and the Simple Note guys have actually sent me advanced documentation on the new tagging. Um, uh, API that they're providing and it really if I can just get down to a point where I can concentrate on nothing but syncing the tagging with simple note it, it'll be beautiful I think everything's there I just need to put it all in place uh, currently if you tag on your in notational velocity you won't see it in simple note and vice versa yeah which is in my opinion like it makes it a waste of time so yeah. I use inline tagging which is kind of old-fashioned, like what we were talking about, where I use a special prefix. Yeah. And I put it into the note itself rather than making a bunch of tags that aren't going to show up when I use simple note. Okay, so and then I do it a little differently. The way, so I've, I guess I do tag a little bit, and that's in, in simple note and notational velocity. And the way I tag, I guess you would call, is uh, in the name string, uh, you know, in the name of a note. Yep. And I have all these codes, and I've actually got a simple note, you know, note about it. For instance, anything related to law starts um, a law colon. So L-A-W colon. And then it may say L-A-W colon A-M. And that is law active matter. Or it may be law colon C-M, law closed matter. So I can type with a few keystrokes in notational velocity and get a list of all the closed matters or all the active matters. Or, you know, and then after that, I'll have a name of a case or a contract or something I'm working on. Same thing with legal forms where I've got texts that I reuse. So I, I treat notational velocity kind of like a text bank as well as other things. So I keep a bunch of text about a jury instruction, for instance. Mm-hmm. So it'll say L-F-O-R-M and, um, and then after that a hyphen and then the name. So by typing in a few uh, preliminary words, I can find anything. Max Sparky's got its own codes and you know the book I wrote has its own codes. So I tag in the name. Right, and and it be, the beauty of notational velocity is that either one of those methods have the same effect, and it searches so fast and so spot on that you know you can do it either way and always be able to find your notes, even though it it does use the one big pile method. Yeah, I I've never had trouble finding a note, and I have hundreds. Yeah, 
And and then Ben Brooks did a nice post on this where he talks about using dates in the names. And mm-hmm. uh, and that makes sense too, the way he works, I think, with client files and he wants to find stuff that's recent. But I, I just use those other codes. And then you put your your metadata is basically text codes in the note itself. Right. Okay. And and everything in notational velocity, they're all indexed the same way. So really our systems are the same, just different uh syntax. All right. Well, Brett, I want to thank you for coming in. Uh, we've already talked. We're going to have Brett on in the future at some point and do a uh, a workflow episode with you and find out all your tricks. But uh, all the tricks we didn't steal from you this time. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, thanks for opening my eyes as to the uh, tagging. That post you did really made me think about it, and I'm looking forward to giving it a try. And I'll be reporting back. I'd love to hear about it. Okay. Thanks, Brett. Yep, thank you, thank Brett. You. All right, we're going to move on and talk about gatherers. But before we do that, we want to take a quick break and thank our next sponsor, 1Password, who uh, we're pleased just renewed with us. So thanks to all the guys and gals at 1Password, and we're looking forward to working with you guys again in the future. Uh, but let's talk about one of my favorite apps, 1Password. If this is an app that you're not using, it's really something that you have to get into because security threats are going to become more and more of a problem in the future. And there is no excuse anymore to not being not be to be using secure passwords, to not be using random passwords. There's no excuse for using the same password over and over again in all of your sites because as soon as one of these sites gets hacked, which is happening more and more, all of your data is going to be vulnerable. One password is an elegant, simple, safe solution to this problem that has completely changed my workflow uh, and has really given me just a whole new peace of mind about how I do work on my Mac and uh, not just my Mac, but my iOS devices and, and other computers, because I always have my information at hand one way or another. Yeah. The nice thing about one password is that it creates the complex password for you and it goes and fills it for you as well. So you don't have to think about it at all. Uh, it also gives you some protection from phishing scams because uh, you're not going to be typing in your password. It's going to, it's going to put a co- It's going to basically a, a, a copy buffer, a paste in there. So as I understand it, a phishing uh, application that was logging your keystrokes would not be able to capture your password. Um, it's also anti-phishing because it's only going to offer your password on the websites associated with where you created that password. So if someone, for instance, copied your bank's website and it's not the exact same uh, URL, one password is not going to work, which will put the red flags up for you to let you know that someone's trying to fish you. Right. And probably the biggest thing I hear from people is, you know, it's just going to be such a hassle to get into one password. I've got all of these passwords and all of these sites and I can't possibly change over. And, you know, the past couple of years, even though I've been using one password for years over the past year or so, I really switched over everything from my own passwords to randomly generated passwords. And it was a much more painless process than I thought it was going to be. I just did it as I came to it. I came to a site. I started with all my financial institutions first. And then as I came to a site, I changed my password. And then that probably got about 85 or 90% of my sites. And then I went into one password and did a search for passwords and went through and did a couple a day and got all the rest. So it, it was really an easy, easy, painless process. Yeah. So if you haven't yet, clean up your security and get yourself a copy of one password. For your Mac, it's $40. Uh, for iOS, you can get a hybrid version for $15. It works on both the iPhone and the iPad. And they also have a family license if you want to get everybody in your family on board at $70 for five users on the Mac. So check it out, and thank you, 1Password, for supporting the podcast. Okay, let's talk about the gatherers. 
Now, Brett's obviously a hunter. I think I'm probably more of a gatherer, although, it, like like you said, it pays to know how to hunt. Yeah, well, I think we all are kind of hybrids, really, when you get down to it. I, even Brett's system used nested folders. It just didn't go as deep as, as we're going. But let's say that you're not interested in all this tagging stuff or you're concerned the open, you know, that um, – that Apple's going to kill open meta at some point. So you just don't even want to bother with it, which is kind of where I've been up until this point. Uh, what's a good way to keep your data in a way you can find it? Um, there's, there's several philosophies about this. My favorite way to do it is just using nested folders. And the reason why I like them is because nobody can break nested folders. I'm not dependent on anybody else. Um, uh, they're portable. They're future-proof. I can copy the set of nested folders onto an external hard drive, or I can copy them onto my iPad and Goodreader. I can do whatever I want with these folders, and I'll always have all the information I need. And you're a nested folder uh, person as well, right, Katie? I'm absolutely a nested folder person as well. And I think it's just the way that my mind operates. I can tell you exactly where a particular document is in my computer because... Uh, it it just makes logical sense to me that it be inside my documents folder, inside, you know, whatever folder, inside whatever folder. And I don't tend to go super deep with nested folders, but it's probably not uncommon for me to go four or five levels deep inside a folder. Well, I think you go as deep as you need and no deeper. I mean, you don't want to have a nested folder with one file in it. You know, so well, it's kind of like the old rule of outlining. You don't have an A without a B, or you don't have a B. You know, you don't. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you don't have an A without a B. Um, uh, we covered this in some length in the paperless episode. So if you want to hear that, I would recommend going back and listening to that episode. But, you know, we didn't really kind of talk about structuring and setting up nested folders. For me, uh, depending on what part of my life it is, it usually starts with one master folder. For the law stuff, I have a law folder. For personal stuff, I have a personal folder. And under that, for instance, I'll have a records folder. And underneath records, I'll have a whole list of stuff like utilities and, you know, family documents and all this stuff. And it's really easy to set up in Mac OS X. You just be in the finder, hit shift, command in, and you've created a new folder. So very quickly, you can start putting these things together. If you Now, do your folders start in your documents folder? Do you use Apple's folder structure that they've kind of created for you in your home folder? You know, I, I've, uh, like Brett, I don't use the documents folder much at all. And the... Um, a surprising amount of my stuff is on my Dropbox folder, you know, because I want it to be okay. on my, on my Mac and my uh, MacBook at any time. So I, I sync a bunch of it, anything except like, for instance, taxes and confidential financial stuff or confidential uh, client stuff doesn't get to Dropbox, but everything else uh, goes to Dropbox. Um, I'm getting ready to do that. I'm getting ready to – all of my stuff starts in my documents folder with the exception of music and movies and pictures that Apple set up its individual folders for me. But I'm getting ready to put my documents folder on my Dropbox folder. Yeah. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, but you're still using and one. I, th- I think we – I'm still primarily using one Mac. I'm getting ready to buy a Mac Mini and do some other stuff. But um, I'm, I'm getting ready for that day when I'm, I'm going to be using multiple things. Well, I, I, and I think we talked about there, there may be a show on Dropbox in the future. Yeah, we are going to do a show on Dropbox. Um, you know, it may be smart on the Mac Mini to wait until, what is this, Thunderbolt or whatever? Thunderclap? Yeah. Thunderbolt? Yeah, you something. May, may be smart to wait. I don't know. That looks like we'll a see. really interesting standard to me. But anyway, I digress. So you do. Uh, how do you find uh, data within your nested folders? Um, Icon view is not your friend, but column view is. I love column view. 
Yeah, so it makes it really easy to drill through and see what's next in the list. What is that, Command-4 when you're in the Finder? I don't remember. I don't know, because my Finder's always in column view. Is it? Yep. Uh, no, Command-3. Okay, that makes sense. Command-4 is um, is uh, that that view I don't like. Yeah. It is the... Uh, cover flow. Yeah, cover flow. Okay, so Command-3. Uh, so y- you're looking for the stuff. Use your column view. Okay, so how do you name folders? Um, I tend to think of my folders kind of like that column view, a lot like an outline. Um, the closer the folder is to the top of the hierarchy, the more general the name is. And then the deeper you get, the more detailed it is. So within my documents folder, that first level of folder is probably pretty simply named, you know, um, finance, Mac world, Mac power users, personal, you know, pretty simple work. And then as you get into those individual folders, your subfolders then will probably be a little bit longer and a little more descriptive. And then the documents within those folders will be a little bit longer and a little bit more descriptive. I don't use dates or anything like that when we're naming folders. Okay. Um, so let's talk a little bit about how you get your files into these folders once you've got them built. And uh, the way I do it generally for, for paper stuff and digital files as well is I have a folder on Dropbox called action and it's at my root level Dropbox and I use it so often that LaunchBar finds it very easily. So I can take any digital file and I can save it to action and I can take a PDF file. You know, when you do the uh, printing PDFs in OS 10, if you hit command P and then there's a little box at the bottom, save to PDF, I've created a rule in there to save it automatically to action. And I've tied that to a keyboard combination. And I wrote about that at Max Sparky, so you can go look that up if you want to see how I did it. But so every PDF file gets printed to the action file. Every stuff that lands on my desktop or my email inbox that I want to deal with later goes to that action file. And uh, when I scan with my scan snap, it automatically saves to the action file. This is kind of like an inbox. Yeah, it is. Uh, so everything goes to this action file. And then I sort it. And what I do is I open it up. Maybe, you know, once a week, it's a repeating task in OmniFocus every five days. So, you know, maybe while we're watching some mindless TV show, I'll open up my laptop. And I'll just go through the action file real quickly and deal with it. Some of the stuff in there results in an OmniFocus task. You know, maybe it's something I need to act on. So I'll create a task to it. Uh, but what the real point of having it in the action file is to get it sent out to wherever it belongs. And I do, uh, the way I do that is I name it, and we talked about this in the paperless episode, I name the file and then I let Hazel do the rest of the work. And we walk through it pretty carefully. But as I talked about with the section earlier with Brett, sometimes I will put a date string in or not, depending on the type of file it is. And then I'll give it a name. And Hazel will then see the name and automatically file it away in whatever subfolder it needs to be. For most of the stuff, because I've done this long enough that there's a bunch of Hazel rules. Um, I don't, though, uh, text expander script that naming process. You know, we mm-hmm. had talked about that in the episode, and I thought that was a great idea, and then I started playing with it, and it didn't really work for me, because I can't remember the snippets enough, because I have so many different types of files. But in my mind, I can't remember what the name is supposed to be. And so I'm monkeying around with trying to get the right text expander snippet, and by that time, I could have just typed the word anyway, and it's really not that much trouble for me. So I just type the word out, and off it goes. Um, sometimes I'll get done with a, uh, going through the action file and there'll be some files that didn't automatically disappear because there is no Hazel rule for them. 
And then you just got to look at it and say, well, is this something I'm going to have a Hazel rule for again? Like, you know, if we have an EOB statement from the insurance company because, you know, my daughter went to the doctor. Well, I'm going to do that again. So I'll make a rule and it'll auto-sort that. But if it's something really unique, I'll just select the file and then use my launch bar trick, you know, hold down command space until the launch bar comes up, quickly drill to the destination folder and hit return, and then it moves it into that folder. So that's my sorting process. How about yours? Hmm. Well, I, I guess I don't have as much stuff as you do. I, I have that. I have a similar sorting process, but really only with my paperless workflow um, with scans. I have a, I have a folder called scans um, and resides inside my home folder. It probably at some point will reside inside my Dropbox folder, but right now it's in my home folder and anything that gets scanned goes to the scans folder. And um, I use text expander snippets to help me name certain things and then Hazel rules that watch that scan folder that then auto sort things from there. So that gets rid of a lot of it. Um, And then the rest of the stuff gets manually moved. Um, But things that I save out from email or things that I just come into contact digitally day to day, I usually have a pretty good idea of where they're going and I just deal with it at the time. I don't, you know, take the extra step of putting them into an action or an inbox folder and then dealing with them later. So really the only time I ever do that is, is when I'm, I'm scanning stuff that's analog and, and making it digital and putting it in there. Um, downloads is, is kind of run the same way, like my scans folder. Um, you know, if I've got installer downloads or if I've got image or music downloads, um, or if I've got statement downloads like bank statements or, you know, AT&T statements or whatever, then there are, again, Hazel rules that watch that downloads folder that take care of most of that for me. And then I go in and clean out the downloads folder on a pretty regular basis and, you know, clear out whatever's left. Yeah. And that's, uh, as an example, I kind of do the same thing, like the electric bill we've been talking about all show. If I, if that's an, a digital download, I'll save it to the action folder with the, you know, 2011-03-electric bill. And as soon as I get saved the action folder, Hazel's watching that folder and it'll file it for me and I don't need to go deal with it later. It's gone when I go to clear out the action folder. Right. Okay. Um, there are some alternatives, though, other than these nested folders. And one of them, which we've already talked about, is Yep. And uh, Yep is a $40 application from Ironic Software. I think it's a good app. It's, it's iTunes for PDFs. And they've got a lot it's of... It's iPhoto. Okay, I, I, iPhoto? I, I look at PDFs? this. Well, whatever. You can organize your, your PDFs like you would in iPhoto or iTunes. Okay. Um, it uses the open meta standard. It's, it's, it, I think it requires tagging um, if you use it because it does drop all your files into one major folder. Although you can have it look at your nested folders, and it will, at least the last time I looked at it, automatically tag based on those folders that they're located in. That's what I've used yet before in the past. I don't, I don't like putting stuff all in one folder. Yeah. Uh, another way you can manage PDFs is, and a lot of people don't realize iTunes can manage PDFs, mm-hmm. but I am not a fan of That's that. an idea. Yeah, I'm not really a fan of using that for a place to store the stuff. Although it's great now that we have our iPads to put PDFs in there you want to read so they show up in iBooks. Well, I think that's that's kind of the nuts and bolts of Hunters and Gathers. Did I miss any points? I think we've got most of it. We talked about file naming. We talked about folder structures. Yeah, I think we got it. I, I'm still a fan of gathering. Uh, I'm interested in hunting, though, so I'm going to check into some of this tagging stuff. But it's going to be really hard for me to give up at least some level of nested folders. I agree. Yeah, 
Uh, we were going to talk about finder alternatives, but since we're already hour and a half in the show, I think we're going to save that. And frankly, that's probably another show anyway. Uh, so sure. let's skip that. Um, uh, how about finding other types of files on your computer, um, like photos, iTunes, things like that? Uh, well, they all have their own built-in search. Yeah, and, and I'm a fan of just giving in to the Apple way on that stuff, whether using Aperture or iPhoto or iTunes. Uh, just search within those applications and don't worry about it. Right. I know people that still try to keep their fo- their photos outside of iTunes. I'm sorry, out of iPhone. iPhoto. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't work well. And it doesn't. And you just there's just, aperture for that. Yeah, creating grief for yourself. And frankly, aperture, I recommend just just embracing the way and putting it into the aperture library as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, aperture, by the way, and you know, just as a follow up on our photo show, my aperture got a lot faster recently, and the reason is I got a bigger hard drive in my iMac, and all of a sudden not having it across that FireWire 800 cable to the Dropbox. Aperture is much more usable for me now. Cool. Okay, let's talk about our last sponsor, Omni Group. Uh, this week I thought we'd talk about uh, one of my favorite Omni Group apps, Omni Graffle. And Omni Graffle is what I call diagramming for mortals. And uh, I like to do diagrams because I think visually. And I've never been able to use Adobe Illustrator, and I've never had the budget to, to buy it anyway. And uh, so I wanted something to make quick diagrams, and OmniGraffle really scratches the itch. Uh, it makes it really easy to set up templates. They have these things called stencils, so you can go to these extensive online libraries and pull down stencils and create beautiful diagrams with no ability whatsoever. And it works great with Keynote, so you can save your diagram out and then drop it into a Keynote slide. I use it all the time. I may have people uh, asking me where I get my diagrams built, and it's just using OmniGraphle. Everybody assumes that I've got somebody professionally doing it for me, and it's just using their uh, their application. Um, yeah, they've got versions for the iPad. They've got a version, a standard version for the Mac is $100. The Pro version is $200. And I did a presentation about it at Macworld. You can go see online. It's linked mm-hmm. at my site, and it's also linked at Omni, so you can kind of see how I use it. Um, but I recommend if you have any need to do diagramming and don't have a, a degree in graphic art, uh, take a good look at OmniGraphle. You can download it for 30 days. And uh, a little thing about OmniGroup a lot of people don't realize is they offer a refund policy on their iPad apps. So uh, if you li- if you download something and it's not working for you, contact them. Well, they'll make it right. One of the things that I really like about OmniGraphle is that you don't have to do it by diagramming if you don't want to. You know, sometimes if you're having a conversation with somebody and they're just talking and 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 you think in more outline view rather than diagramming view, although I tend to think more diagramming view, you can just outline and OmniGraphle will create the diagram for you kind of as you go along. Yeah, I mean they're they're leveraging the stuff they have with Omni Outliner and they've got that code in there. So you make an outline in OmniGraphle and a diagram automatically builds itself. Right. It's like magic. So thank you, Omni Group, for supporting the podcast, and go check out Omni Graffle at theomnigroup.com. All right, let's get to the feedback section. Yeah, we got a lot of feedback on the last episode. Um, I think, uh, you know, we love email, but we really love comments. Uh, you know, we got some great comments, because we want everybody to be able to share the information. Um, taking notes is a good example. We got a lot of good emails from people, but we did get some great comments as well. So go ahead and leave the comments, and uh, go read them as well. You may learn something. 
Yeah, a lot of recommendations for uh, some programs that we didn't cover. And every time somebody wrote me and I said, this is great, thank you, we'll try to cover it in our feedback section. But our feedback section's getting kind of long, and sometimes we can't cover everything. So if if you want to make sure that other people can share share the love, um, make sure it's in a comment on the website. Yeah, and, you know, uh, in hindsight, I think we should have split the taking notes into two episodes. We should have covered just the Mac and just the iOS because there wasn't enough time to give uh, the the extensive treatment we usually do. So we'll try and remember that in the future. Uh, one of the things we heard from a lot of people about was this application on iOS called Carbon Fin Outliner. And because uh, I wasn't really happy with the the outliner that I had checked out, but I didn't find this one. But now I'm playing with it and I'm impressed. So uh, if you're interested, we'll put the link in the show notes for Carbon Fin Outliner. Right. Uh, we also had a note from John who was comparing and contrasting Omni. I'm sorry, Omni Outliner. Uh, with Notebook. And he said, while Omni Outliner is a great program, it's missing a critical feature for taking notes in meetings if you're a student at a lecture. And that's the feature for recording and being able to cross-reference the items in the outline. You talked about this a lot with your LiveScribe pen that does this. I actually ordered one, David, um, since actually after we did this, um, as well as Circus Pony's Notebook also does this. So, um, you know, hey, draw a line to the Omni Outliner folks. They are very active developers and I'm sure they'd love the feedback and they're always thinking ahead to the next version. Yeah. And I heard from Tim talking about note taker HD for the iPad. A lot of people trying to convince me to take notes with my iPad. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Yeah. But you know, I, I, thanks Tim. I bought that one uh, a few months ago. I went back and played with it some more and it's a kind of a different take on shrinking the writing. If uh, you know, if you want to try that, that's great. I still am not convinced to use the uh, iPad for taking notes though. Yeah. Uh, Neil wrote in on Evernote and said that he was surprised to find that we didn't think it was very Mac-like because he thought it was very Mac-like. I, I guess it kind of is. It's not bad. It's certainly not a bad interface. I don't have any problems with the Evernote interface. Um, and their new iOS, they actually, since our last episode, released a new app for uh, iOS, which has gotten better. Uh, but Neil just says that he uses Evernote all the time at school. He's got a premium account, which OCRs the PDF documents and the accessibility through his iOS devices and on Windows make it perfect for an electronic computing environment, uh, especially for his use at school. So another vote for Evernote. Yeah, I think my uh, animosity for Evernote is overstated. I think it's a great app. I just don't seem to have a place for it with the stuff I do. And maybe oh, it's just because using I'm using it all the time. I'm using other apps to do a lot of the stuff I, I would do with it. I received uh, notes from several people asking, well, why bother with simple note at this point? Because, you know, now that, you know, or, you know, that now that uh, this stuff, all these applications are accessing the Dropbox library, why not keep all your text files just in a folder on Dropbox? And then you can use, whatever your flavor of choice for your text editor is to access those through the Dropbox. And in fact, simple note now for a paid subscription gives you the option of copying all of your notes to a Dropbox folder as well. So people are saying this has it become redundant and I don't think so. Uh, for me, probably the main reason is I love having everything together as we were talking about with Brett. Uh, when I open notational velocity, I've got all of that text together and it makes it really easy for me to find what I'm looking for. If I just had a folder full of, you know, 700 text files and I wanted to go find the one that has this text phrase in it, you know, it's a lot more difficult to do that. So I, I love the the ability to have all that searchable and easy for me to edit and jump into. So I'm still on board with SimpleNote. 
Uh, Jim wrote in about Microsoft Word and says that it does now have a journaling mode uh, that will record audio and sync it with your typing that works kind of like that LiveScribe pen again that we were talking about as well as with the, the Circus Ponies notebook app that we were talking about. And you can mouse over the text that was typed and hear the recording at that point. Um, he says a standalone product that does the same thing is Transcrivia, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, that lets you type while recording and then attribute the statement to different speakers. Um, yeah, that's a it's a great feature. Of course, it wasn't available in the version of Microsoft Word that I used at the time. I was using it to go through law school, um, but I think it can be an invaluable tool these days. And you know, I knew that, and I didn't. Uh, I just slipped my mind when we were recording that show. Yeah. Uh, Michael wrote in about Paranote, which is a note-taking app, kind of like the uh, the LiveScribe pen as well, but a digital version. And uh, it's $40 and allows you to transcribe and take notes at the same time. And we'll put that in the show notes as well. A lot of people wrote in about DevonThink, which we talked about um, in our paperless episode. I don't think we talked about it so much in the taking notes context. Um, but a lot of people think that DevonThink is is the application for scanned PDF documents, pages, files, spreadsheet files, text files, um, and it has kind of this interesting artificial intelligent agent which try to tries to organize all of your all of your files. So, another vote for DevonThink. Yeah, we also heard about GoodReader from people talking about some of the additional features like syncing and Dropbox. Um, uh, agree. We you know GoodReader really didn't fit into that show. We kind of fell into that topic. But I think at some point in the future, we're going to cover PDFs on the iPad and the iOS devices in detail, and Goodreader will weigh heavily in that episode. So hang hang loose there. We'll get there. Uh, Also got notes from several people talking about org mode. And again, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Um, But org mode is a uh, process for taking notes, and it's overall a flexible solution that a couple of people recommended. Um. So that may be something to check out. Yeah, it's a very text-based org mode. I, I'm I want to play with this one. I'm going to go download it. Yeah. I had a couple of people talk about it. You know, it's kind of like taking notes in plain text. So right. I'm looking forward to to giving that one a shot. And we also heard from several people who are fans of Tinderbox. And Tinderbox is at Eastgate.com, and I just downloaded the sample of that uh, in preparation for the show, and I'm playing with it a little bit, and it's. Really broad based. It's you know it's two hundred and fifty dollars. It's a kind of a major note taking app. But a lot of people wrote in that we're very passionate about using this application. So I got to figure out why it's so great. So I'm going to look into that one. But yeah. we'll put it in the show notes so you can check it out yourself. All right. Uh, so David, I've been waiting a long time to say this, but uh, what's next? Merlin Man two point Woohoo! Yeah. So it, it's scheduled. As long as everything works out, we're going to have our next show will be uh, the marathon with Merlin. And we'll be talking about the stuff he uses on his Mac a year later, as well as the iPad, you know, because the iPad's out now. So I'm anxious to hear how he's incorporating that into his life. Yeah, I can't wait to talk to Merlin again. I'm sure that will be a marathon show. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> and check check the feeds in between for the OmniFocus yeah. screencast. So what we'll do is in about a week after this show post, we'll have the OmniFocus, first OmniFocus screencast. And then on the regular schedule, about two weeks later, we'll have the Merlin episode up. Sounds like a plan. Okay, so how can you find us? Well, first up, you can visit our website. That's at www.macpowerusers.com. There you can find links to all of the things we talked about in this episode, as all of our other episodes on our show notes. You can leave comments uh, and read all of the comments. Um, so take take a look at that. You can also find us at feedback at macpowerusers.com. Go ahead and send us an email. It comes to both of us. 
No. You can leave us a Google Voice uh, voicemail. That's at three. I'm sorry, seven zero six. Four five seven six nine three seven. That's seven zero six four five power. Or there's a link there on our website and Twitter. Uh, we're at Mac Power Users, and Katie is at Katie Floyd, and I'm at Max Sparky. And we're also on Facebook, Facebook.com/slash Mac Power Users. Yeah, I, I rejoined Facebook. You did. Yeah. I made you an administrator of our account and everything. Yeah, I, I'm on the verge of canceling again. Oh dear. <laughs> it just. I'm getting all these re- invites from people that I haven't talked to for 30 years. And I, I wasn't that close with back then. And I, it's like, I'm troubled. I don't want to say no, but I don't really know them. Might be well, that's where to- you have to set up, you know, you have to set up certain levels of Facebook. So certain people know. can see certain things. I don't know. It's hard work maintaining an online social identity. And that's why I'm thinking, why am I doing this? But anyway, okay. So the price of fame. Uh, we, we love iTunes comments, though, so if uh, you have feedback, please leave it with iTunes comments. It helps us uh, find new listeners, and it, we love reading it. And uh, thanks to our sponsors, Smile, One Pass from the Omni Group, for supporting the show. All right, we'll be back next week with OmniFocus Part 1, and the week after that, we'll Looking forward to it. Thanks, David. <laughs>